Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are the band London Grammar and producers Tim Bran and Roy Kerr of My Riot. London Grammar formed when vocalist Hannah Reed and guitarist Dan Rothman met at Nottingham University during their first year in 2009. Shortly after, they were joined by Northampton native Dominic Dot Major and a year later, the band London Grammar was formed. After completing their studies in 2011, the trio moved to London to make a go of it as a band. It didn't take long before they started to attract interest from A&R and were snapped up as the first band signing for Ministry of Sound. In September 2013, London Grammar released their eagerly anticipated debut album, If You Wait. The album entered the UK album chart at number two and went top 20 around the world. The band's second studio album, Truth Is A Beautiful Thing, was released in June 2017 and has continued their success, peaking at number one in the UK album chart. My Riot are a production duo featuring the talents of Tim Bran and Roy Kerr. Before working together, both Tim and Roy had enjoyed independently successful careers. Roy's breakthrough came in 2001, assuming the handle of the freelance Hellraiser, when his bootleg mashup of The Strokes and Christina Aguilera resulted in a stroke of genius, a track which quickly took a nascent internet by storm. Overnight, Roy became the go-to man for an inspired remix, with Blur, Pink, Shakira and even Christina herself all commissioning him. In 2004, an opportunity of a lifetime was given to Roy when Paul McCartney invited him to be the opening act for a two-year US and European tour, including that year's headline Glastonbury slot. This led to the ambitious Twin Freaks project in which McCartney and Kerr reworked classics from McCartney's back catalogue using the original master tapes. Tim's career commenced as a teenager in Guernsey, when he ambitiously converted an old German communications building into his own music studio. After honing his skills, Island Records recruited him to become their in-house producer at Bunker Studios, where he worked alongside Julian Cope. Bran left Bunker Studios to join Cope's band on a full-time basis, and he later formed the enduring dub reggae techno pioneers Dreadzone with his friend Greg Roberts. In the early 2000s, Tim signed to Youth's label Liquid Sound. It wasn't long before Youth called on Tim's extensive programming and musical skills and he became a fully signed up member of the team. Tim has since worked on many of Youth's productions, programming for the likes of Sir Paul McCartney, Embrace, Primal Scream, The Charlatans and The View, amongst others. In 2012, Tim and Roy formed a production collaboration, My Riot, to work on tracks for the Scissor Sisters' Magic Hour album. Having discovered a creative synergy, they moved on to work with a number of other artists and in the process notched up multiple successes with the likes of Ray Morris, Amy MacDonald, Birdie and London Grammar, to name a few. I'm here at Rack Studios with Dan from London Grammar and Tim and Roy of My Riot to talk about their work together on London Grammar's first album, If You Wait. And what better way to start that conversation than to hear something from the album. Letters burning by my bed for you Here now 
It is London Grammar with Hey Now, and I think we should start our conversation, shouldn't we? We've got Dan, we've got Tim, we've got Roy, and we're actually in a special place in Rack Studios, Roy's room. But the three of you haven't recorded at Rack. So how did you all hook up? How did you meet? That was actually through our previous managers, um, Big Life Management. Um, I think it was, was it Jazz's idea originally Sorry. in the late Jazz Summers? Um, we were working with a bunch of different producers just, just sort of trying to find our way a little bit. Um, and then Jazz kind of had this, I, I guess in a way it was a brilliant idea and it turned out to be a very, very brilliant idea. But to not only, I think, introduce you, the two of you to working together, but then to introduce us to them. So it was really just a complete coming together from all different, from, for everyone, which was kind of crazy when I think about it, and it worked so well. Mm. So this was the first time that you'd actually worked together? We'd done a couple of little things before. Jazz was like had this vision of us working together. He got us in and said, you've got to work with these guys, they're amazing. Let's play to some tracks. And within, I remember vividly, within about one line of wasting my <laughs> young years, I I really wanted to work with them. Just hearing the sound and the the, the voice and the the sonic, it's everything I love really in in music. And and realised we could do do some amazing things. And we had a real creative time in that first. We literally got put in the studio together, didn't we, by our management? And it was it was a three weeks, four weeks. Uh, yeah, or something. the first session yeah. was three or four weeks in state of the art studios. Right. So that and that was the three of London Grammar and yep. the two of My Riot together. Yep. And and how did you start working? I and mean, how, how do you go about starting this new relationship? I haven't even thought about this, and I can't really remember now. You've done your demos. You've done your yeah. recordings in your garage. Wasn't yeah, it? it was a lot of a lot of recordings done in my garage at home. And um, I had a friend who was an engineer um, from school, who we'd worked with a little bit, and we'd kind of got the demos up to a level. Um, and then we'd done, like I said, we'd done a few sessions with other people, blah, blah, blah. So you, you amass this kind of, these demos or versions of the tracks. And then the songs are, are sort of like relatively there by that point. And then I suppose when it came, it was kind of just starting from scratch, really, in terms of re-recording everything. And, and obviously in State of the Arc, we just have this incredible, like, I mean, just, it's just a beautiful there, studio. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where is it? In so West London, Richmond. Right, in Richmond. Richmond. Oh right, okay. And 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 what state of readiness um, do you think London Grammar were at at this point? You know, because obviously you formed a university in Nottingham, mm. um, and presumably you must have started writing songs then. Mm-hmm. Did the songs from that period work their way onto the album, or did these songs come once you'd kind of settled into the trio? That made the final cut of the record. There were probably two tracks that actually were written, like Flickers me and Hannah wrote in like my bedroom at university metal and dust I'd written like the the guitar part originally in my bedroom at university and then then Hannah began writing more of the other songs like Wasting My Young Years was written after university in my garage I remember her writing that song and showing to me in my garage and I was just like whoa okay that you know and then suddenly things it was obvious then she'd kind of changed level changed gear um and then yeah and then and then that was kind of where we were at and then the production phase was was the next step for us to take and trying to understand how we could actually sonically make these songs sound 
the way they needed to sound to have you know the success that we wanted to have yeah yeah so so you had this kind of vision of of what you were aiming for in a way you no know, mm. both um both in terms of the uh, success of the band but also that the the sound of the band so the two intertwined presumably so we were aware that we needed to make it you know sound modern and up to date and in in all of those you know those ways but i think obviously the the main concern was always just having a sound that sounded our own and making the songs as good as possible and then you know we knew that 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 would bring what we wanted you know we hoped anyway that's what it would bring yeah. for us so um, today we're going to listen to a few of the songs that emerge from this this meeting mm-hmm. and this this burst of creativity what well, can you remember what, what were the first songs you you worked on it was probably wasting mm-hmm. my yeah. own years and um, hey now was in there as hey well. now mm-hmm. was very early on mm-hmm. because that was the first thing that the guys put out uh, just on soundcloud i think it was and i remember it wasn't even meant to be on the album it was just yeah, like I a taste of track the demos and yeah going hold it yeah. this is an amazing track it just sounded like it sounded like a lot of things i loved from the past but it also sounded like it could be the future in a way it had reminiscence of massive attack for me and i know you guys love you know a lot of things that we love as well and i i think hopefully me and roy brought a few sonics in or ideas maybe um to the to the sound as well and and from our pasts in in involved in various bands and music and production and um but what dan said about kind of having a vision it was more like it was great that they knew what they didn't like me and roy said at the beginning of the session look we we will suggest loads of things and we'll try stuff and obviously if you guys don't like it it's not it's your record we but we'll try and maybe suggest things that, that you wouldn't think of or that magnify things that happen by accident or, you know, and try and get that into, into the, the, that world and create a world. And, and that's the hardest thing is to know what you don't like. If you kind of like everything, that's really, you end up with a real kind of mush of lots of things. But as a band, they seem to know instinctively what they didn't like, which was great. I think the really important thing as well is treat, we treated you like a band. I don't think anyone up to that point had really considered you. Mm. It sounds really odd now, but, you mm. weren't like we got you in the Playing studio together, together. Mm. as a as a <laughs> band as a trio mm. i don't think you've done that it's since your garage like mm. with other i'm not sure but well that i think that's the reality of sometimes when you're doing writing sessions or those kind of sessions with yeah. producers that, that sort of like you're just in a small room and you're just sort of like taking turns and playing parts so that doesn't get removed slightly you're right yeah so that probably helped create the unity at, mm. at, of purpose so it's a very fragile, you know, um, thing. Every every part is really important, and uh, and it, you know, important to the sound. It's a, that's a really interesting idea, though, that you, you know, heard the ideas, heard you know the kind of thing that they were striving for, but got them to perform together. Yeah, I think that definitely helped in the process. Not all of it was done like that. Mm. And so what was the first thing you worked on and how did you approach that? So obviously you'd heard some demos, Mm. um, but did you start from scratch then and say, right, we like this song. Um, We're going to maybe get the three of you to perform it together and then we'll build up on on that. Yeah, or sometimes um, maybe Hannah or Dot will go in and play the piano part and then sing over it. So we'd essentially lay the, the main instrument down to a click so we try some tempos and then okay that feels like it's right essentially we kind of get the feel of the song and then start introducing the guitar or the piano and programming drums i think um, roy and dot uh dot is is a multi uh 
faceted instrument himself. He's, yeah. he's a, a brilliant drummer. He's a brilliant um, producer in his own right. He's got so many ideas. And so Roy and, and Dot would go off into the live room. We set you up in the live mm. room, didn't we? So they'd go and experiment with all these other sounds while we were, say, recording a guitar part or Hannah was doing some piano or, you know. And, um, and then we'd visit those guys and hear what, amazing sounds were coming out and then we'd introduce those back into the main room so it was a kind of not a, a linear process there was lots of parallels going on at the same mm-hmm. time so we did travel quite fast in those few weeks the first few weeks and kind of came out and went well this is sounding quite amazing you know yeah and did you focus on one song two songs a lot of songs all at the same time or? i reckon in the first session that we did there's probably maybe we, pro- we probably focused on three or four songs mm. i imagine i think it's probably hey now Wasting my young years. I think strong, strong was a contentious song from because I think everyone was aware, particularly our managers were aware how big a potential single it could be for us. Um, and it'd be we'd worked on strong with some other producers previously, so it was like we needed, we knew we had to work on that. Blah, blah, blah. And it was a case of sort of, it was almost a case of strong was like stripping it back to where it, where the main elements were and really focusing on that and and working on it like that. And with wasting that was more like from the ground up so it dep- it was dependent on where the songs had been previously with something like hey now we were so set on how that was and the elements are so simple that it was like it was obvious with hey now and i think really like that was we knew that we had once we'd had that in the bag i think that that was like the obvious mark right okay right that's what it needs to be and then we could move on and then in subsequent sessions we probably did another three or four tracks and then another three or four tracks mm. probably three or four sessions that took place yeah. in state of the arc and then in other studios later on it would be good to break wasting my young years down and mm. and and have a a listen and a, a look at just how you created that together yeah i mean i've got i've got the session here we can kind of dig in a bit and it it did start with just piano and vocals and that's what the demo was was just piano and mm. vocals and it was the first thing that i heard i don't know if mm. it was the first thing you heard roy and i remember vividly playing it and going okay this is this is a great song we, there's no problem with the song here it's just now how do you wrap that up in in a way that um if it's going to be a single can get radio play mm. um so obviously might need some drums so that was it was a very delicate process you don't want to slam a banging beat on it. it's not that kind of song it has to be done very intricately and with care and and um it took a while to get the right beat i remember it's so simple on the final record but actually that's the usually the the best thing but um we started i remember just adding a bass drum on the chorus that was it which i've got here you know you can yeah. literally add a bass drum to it and then you've got something should, um, should we have yeah, a listen to just the um the piano and the voice then yeah, if, sure. if that's how it started and then work out how you then added all these different elements you cross this line Do you find it hard to sit with me tonight? And did you record these together? Separately? No, this is so Dot playing piano, an upright piano, if I remember rightly. I seem to think it was Dot playing the piano in the verses and maybe Hannah in the choruses. Mm. Sometimes we yeah, do we, that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, they have very... Not to make things complicated. Oh, yeah. yeah. The magic of recording. <laughs> Never makes anything complicated. <laughs> But it was literally, I think Hannah played it first and then Dot, yeah, yeah. And we added a grand piano over the choruses, Mm. which are these chords, so I'll play them. There's the low chords. The bigger chords coming. So this is essentially what the demo was, really. Right here. 
So I, I find that fascinating. So you started using an upright and then felt we need a, a bit of grand in there too. We were lucky enough to have both. There was a standing joke in the end, let's try it on the upright, because we did try it, because it's a more intimate sound, the upright. Mm. And it, I think this is the only tune we ended up using the upright on. The rest mm. was this beautiful um, Steinway. Steinway piano. Um, but just for the intimacy of this one, it's a little bit out of tune, and it does have that real um, intimacy and, yeah. and kind of innocence in a way. But I find that fascinating because most people would listen to it and think, oh, yeah, it's a piano. Um, well, yeah. But these are important, subtle differences, aren't they? Very much. If you played it on the grand piano, it would, might sound a bit too... Um, posh. Posh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually. Yeah. And also that, that where that upright was, was up in the kind of communal area where we all kind of sat and ate. And, and it's, it's just something, you know, we're all humans and there's something about, you don't want to be off in the massive room on your own, kind of cold with the lights on you. You know, it's, sometimes it's, it's just about the environment and that informs how you play and mm. you, it's the performance rather than the, the instrument sometimes. Yeah. And so once you'd got this down, then you had the the struggle, it you was, could say, of, well, of what, what next? Yeah, the or, guitar was the guitar. obviously the yeah. next thing. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 Dan's guitar sound is <laughs> Dan's guitar sound is very important to the London Grammar sound, and and uh, that and the piano together, you'll hear in a moment, it do make instantly you can recognise it as being London Grammar. Mm. But you brought you kind of had a sound that you liked. Yeah, but I, we worked on it. We mm. kind of added to that, didn't we? Instead? I had the part because because Hannah had shown me, like I said, originally showed me the song in the garage, and and I so and then I wrote the part to to the song with her, and that was kind of the basis of it. And I and then yeah, I had a little bit of a sound, and then Tim and Roy just helped me finesse it and make it sound better, and then then that was the. Can't remember how many because they've obviously well they're not obviously but they've got a lot of guitar amps down at this studio. This mm. is the kind of studio you don't just walk in and there's you know, a 24 track in the corner or a Pro Tools, there are hundreds of mm. guitars. Mm. It, there's, it's a collection of beautiful old vintage amps. Mm. Um, so we did have the choice of a lot. And I think we went through a few and we ended up on a beautiful old Vox AC30. Mm. A lot of the time. There are yeah. other ones as well. So faced with a choice of guitar amp <laughs> and then faced with... Um, the sound that you're creating, are you using lots of pedals to create your sound, Dan? Or I mean, I was... When I started, I was like really, I was a bit sort of anti-pedal, and then because you know I was trying to be a bit of a purist, but then that sort of slowly faded away. We were working with in the, the studio is owned by a chap called Terry Britton, who is a very very famous producer whose credits are a oh, writer as well. He writer, wrote sorry, Tina Turner and what's love got Lily to do with it Lily right. Kravitz and, it and he his, is a guitarist he is a guitarist as so you can he, tell from the multitude of amps and guitar yeah so he has like a bunch of pedals as well so I found like a few things and he actually showed me this there was like this reverb pedal which I still use now which is like my favourite go-to pedal um, Flint Strymon mm. and mm. Um, so yeah so that was really helpful he was amazing like that Terry and he was always really passionate about like showing me other stuff or showing us stuff he's a mm. great guy actually. he was a yeah he'd kind of walk in quietly and say oh you might want to try that he'd hear what we were trying to get and you might want to try that amp for that and we'd immediately go oh yeah that's the sound we we're after thanks terry you know wander in you know um but i don't remember kind of spending days trying to get no. a guitar sound no. you had your guitar yep. one guitar mm -hmm. and um we tried a few amps and the ac30 just tended to, it just had that beautiful sound we wanted warmth but we wanted it not to sound too you know um no. Not too clear, no distortion. I remember that early on. We yeah. were like, okay, look, we're not going to, on this album, 
It's got to be beautiful, pure, and it, and it was. Yeah. This is the vocal and the piano, and just adding the guitar, and you'll instantly hear the sound. You cross this line. Do you find it hard to sit with me tonight? I've walked these miles, but I've walked them straight line. You'll never know what it's like to be fine. Then that's when you there was the the four to the floor thing became immediately apparent in the Oh no, the Juno. We need to talk about the Juno. <laughs> so this is the sound of the Juno on its own. So and this is I think I was playing live along with it. So I was literally... I think there's video uh, of you playing along. Maybe, is there? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so I literally played along live and, and it was a kind of modulating, you can get pulsing up and down. I haven't had anything to this, no reverb or anything, but that underneath, very subtle, and it's not the kind of thing you notice as a synth, but once you hear it with everything, I'll just bring in the piano and the guitar, and you'll hear that it gives it a rhythm without being a drum as such. You cross this line Do you find it hard to sit That goes all the way through Yeah, all the way through It's really interesting hearing it isolated and then hearing it within the song because, you know, isolated it could conjure up any sorts of genres really no but particularly i guess techno or something like that and it sounds familiar within that domain put it with this something else entirely it's really interesting it was a way of creating rhythm without actually introducing some drums until the chorus it seems so funny now because like when we you know when we made our second record we had every instrument and synth available to us you know it's like the synth was no new concept to us at this point but when tim first showed us the juno it was like oh wow this is what the fuck is this <laughs> and like it sounds so beautiful and it sounds so amazing it was like immediately it was like oh this is the sound of this is the other sound this is the other identity that we were missing that brought some like bass some warmth some i don't know why but it offered some modernity to it and i don't really know why because it's an 80s yeah, synth exactly yeah. but it but it just seemed to d- to fit immediately and it was like all oh, right okay that's that's that instrument is now a part of the landscape and it, and then it, and it featured a lot um on other tracks as well it was a, a subtlety that does add to something it's a, almost adding 3d without you noticing it as a lot of the sounds on the album are there's tiny little things in there that you don't actually notice them but they add this extra element to 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 pique your interest as as, as it goes through the song you know yeah. And so so far at this point, you know, we've got the piano, we've got Hannah's voice, we've got the guitar, the Juno's been added, and and you have already decided that you're not going to introduce um, full drums until the chorus kicks in. So that that decision had been made. Yeah, and even then it was just a bass drum. I remember mm. just having a quiet bass drum for ages, and us getting used to it. It took mm. us, me and Roy, getting used to it as well. Hold it, we're going to add drums to this, and it's a very uh, it had to be a slow process to get used to that. Obviously, something like metal and dust or nightcore, like, where it does kick in at the end. You, you, we, you kind of had metal and dust outro done anyway, didn't you? So you knew there was going to be massive drums. But with something like this, such a beautiful, delicate song, a ballad as such, mm. how do you introduce 
we put a house beat on the on the chorus yeah, <laughs> in the end, and it worked. Just that alone kind of takes it somewhere else and um, gives it gives it that kind of modern thing, you know. Yeah, I'm interested to hear the low level bass drum that you started with, just to get yourselves yeah, used I mean, to the idea. Nothing, if we're we're going to put drums on this. Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, nothing. There's two. There's that yeah, one. There's... That's the main one. Like a thuddy one, and a. It's actually a sample of a real yeah. bass drum. It sounds like. Right. We've added this one, which is very quiet. I'll turn yeah. that back. So it's so essentially, it, that. And at what, which point in the song then did these the chorus these the chorus. come so, in? So just only in the chorus. So this would have gone with. It doesn't matter. that could have done it really that could have been all we did but but th- but it wasn't so what did well, you decide I then? think first of all I think we ended up putting um, more drums on the second chorus because but that was quite a shock to bring them in uh, that early <laughs> I think we ended up putting on the on the end and then deciding you know what let's put it on the first chorus as well let's, let's not hang around let's, yeah it is a chorus essentially it doesn't matter. just a little subtle nothing too banging did he try live drums on this? I think there is some. Yeah, I think this is made up of live and, and yeah. you know, programmed. And how are you feeling about this, Dan, then, with the, the way that this was progressing and, and Hannah and Dot? You know, it's, it's quite interesting because, obviously, you know, you're very respectful of the band and their opinions, uh, but also the band are very interested in, in what you can suggest. Um, because you've been working around with this song and trying to work out, you know, how can we really capture it the way we want it to or we think we have it in our heads? Because these are subtle things, and yet they have big impact. Absolutely. Um, so w- were you as uh, uh, tentative with the idea of the way that the drums worked and, 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 and over how long? As with most of any track we ever make, um, it's like kind of maybe build up the framework fairly quickly and that may have included the drums. I think the drums are probably included and I think it was probably very tentative for us. We're always very tentative with drums anyway, especially when it's a ballad and especially when it's a song that Hannah's written like that, that is so emotional and it's like, you know, it's a difficult process to try and not, you know, ruin the emotion or take away from it too much. When we make these songs and um, it takes us time to really figure out exactly how they're going to sound and like we can go back to a song maybe three or four months after making it and be editing the drums still. So it can be very, very complicated in that sense. Like with Wasting My Young Years and Strong as well, I Mm. think that that's where we were at with it a lot of the time. I mean, it's very minimal, the sound, uh, as anyone will know who's listened to it. And so because of that, every single sound is important to these guys. I actually learned a lot myself from them on that. Yeah. And that it's like, um, you know, a recipe. If you've got the the best ingredients, but a select few, then it'll taste better. And I think they they taught me that. And they, you know, every single sound was like, why why does that have to be there? Is it there because pop songs have to have that sound? Or is it there because it makes this song sound better? You know, and, and... Actually, it was the second in the most of it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we they, like, they spend a lot of time thinking about that. You still do, don't you? It's a distillation process with you guys, isn't it? You kind of throw lots at it and then you kind of go, actually, that doesn't need to be that, doesn't need to be that. And it ends up sounding as honest. Mm. Because mm. this is wasting my young years. So it kind of, 
we felt it almost had to have a youthful feel to it. And that's what that beat sums up for me. Mm-hmm. When the chorus comes in, you're like, oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's not just a piano, um, you know, uh, what's the BPM? Well, it's actually 127, but half that. It's 60, whatever it is. It's yeah. 63 and a half BPM, actually, when the piano's playing. And suddenly you throw a 127 beat on it. It's like, okay, this does sound youthful and does mm. sound like what you're singing about, you know. So, so when did you think we're getting there, or we might be finished, or and, and what what did you do next to the song? When once you'd introduced this beat and you worked out, no, we're not going to wait until the second chorus for it to double up. We're going to. So know, I know go what we did. In. We did uh, your um, kind of tremoloed guitars, mm-hmm. tremolo as in playing very yeah. fast. I remember calling it a guitar orchestra, <laughs> yeah. and we had this idea to. Um, it's great seeing this going back to the session. Uh, we did four guitar parts. So he made a he played a single note on each part and tremoloed it. So ding 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 ding, and kind of made an orchestra mm. uh, like a cello part and a violin part, and, and made this. And then I put it through. through the plate and, uh, no, I put it through just the uh, Pro Tools plugin. So full reverb. So none of the original single signal, just the reverb, and it's like a nine-second reverb. I think it's the church setting. This is the intro. then this song comes in but this later on so chorus two beautiful sound mm. that was pretty yeah because again it's something it's not eating too much space up but it's giving that wonderful open sound yeah sounds cavernous almost you know mm. Mm. Yeah, so it's um, so that was I think the next thing we did, and then we moved a bit of that as the intro. Right. Yeah. So having created that, you thought, oh, maybe that would work right at the it, beginning. It literally came in on the first piano chord originally, and then obviously after that, we decided to add a forty-piece uh, orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing we did. Right. Speaking um, of minimal. Yeah. So it's speaking <laughs> of minimal. Um, I think the probably we did other guitars. I mean, I, I think they ended up being very, very low in the mix. We did some ebos, but I don't think they. Yeah. There's like a chuggy was, thing in the mm, chorus. Yeah, yeah. There's the. Yeah, that's this. But it was essentially um, that, and then <laughs> we added, uh, yeah, a huge orchestra. If you can see, are here, we, are we able these... to listen to those parts before the orchestra? Then, yep, I'll mute the strings. It doesn't matter. There was also all of um, Hannah's, like, I remember the overdub in the vocals, some of the harmonies taking a long time to work out as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, they're, again, there's not many harmonies. No, they're not. It's just, yeah, just one couple of bits of BVs. But we've got little things like tiny subtleties like this. I think this is something you did, Roy. This is Hannah's voice. Treated through the Roy filter. <laughs> Wow, and where do we hear that in the song? That's on the chorus. Right, wow. So things like that you'd never notice, but actually are in the background and just give it that 
extra weirdness. Yeah, mm. subtle headphone material, you know. You take it out, you notice it rather than, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then we went to Prague. I think by the end of the process, I think the label and management realised if we want to give this the big push, I think we need to do this with live strings. And we kept on saying, look, we, we want to do this with live strings. And I'd worked with uh, a brilliant arranger conductor called Will Malone. Mm. So it was great getting him involved. So this is the strings. So those three chords became the intro as well. I didn't even, I've I never even noticed that. Da, 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 da. You could do a remix of it then. Beautiful. <laughs> and when they're performing, they're just reading the parts that have been provided. They've literally, the parts have been just put in front of them. Yeah. They're sight reading, essentially. Yeah. So they have no idea of the rest of the song. Yeah, you don't hear anything until the day. You just have to trust that process. Yeah. And, and as producers watching this session take place, and obviously you know what the rest of the song sounds like, you know where and how you want this to fit in, but you're not fitting in at the time. Um, you're recording these parts, but then you've got to marry them with the other recordings that you've done. Mm. So you don't try and do that in Prague. No. You take those recordings away, bring them back. I mean, now you've got them on your laptop. Yep. But mm. um, how tough is that proposition, trying to marry the two together then? I mean, I think there was probably... We were quite detailed in our arrangements of when they should occur at the strings, because you could play strings all the way through this song, mm. but then it end up very washy. And this adds that... You, if you've got to do strings, you've got to do it properly in this um, kind of scenario because it's so, like Roy said, it's very minimal in its approach. So if you go and put synth strings on it, it's going to be like, you know, you've got to think of what's best for the song, not not how much it costs at the end of the day. Well, let's have a listen to, to that then, that moment of, of realisation. Hmm. I'll play you the first chorus with the strings as, as well. It doesn't matter Maybe he We are We are You may have heard us talk about Tape It before and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. 
One of our favorite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So that's Wasting My Young Years, London Grammar. And you mentioned Strong earlier on, Dan, and how that was a problematic song. And it's interesting hearing the discussion about... um, how the band were going to fit into the musical landscape of 2013. Strong had been identified from demos that this was a potential big hit. Yes. Um, and then, so they're it all, sounds like... They're always the hardest yeah, ones. Yeah, so. which is, you know, uh, it presents a big problem, doesn't yeah. it? Well, it does. You've yeah. got to live up to that. And yeah. You, the automatic response is, oh, let's put loads of stuff on it. It yeah. sounds great. And then you go, oh, it sounds yeah. a bit too pompous or mm. big or, yeah. Well, it's just funny because we had a version of Strong that we'd done as a demo previously and our manager, Jazz, was like, this is, this is it. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was incredibly enthusiastic. And, um, but, you know, he, he listen, he recognised the song, which was amazing and, and that was great. But the version was not right and we knew that. And it caused us a lot of distress because we had this song that, you know, we obviously knew was great. The version was not correct. And then when you're told by everybody else that it is... That was like, oh, wow, you know, that's really daunting for you because you're like, you have to stand up to that now and tell them, no, it's not, it's not right. And then you go back to the drawing board with it and try and try and make it good for yourselves and make it good for them with their expectation of what it was before. So you're meeting suddenly. You're, and that was, that was really our first taste, I think, really, certainly from my point of view, of the compromises that sometimes are asked of you in the music industry, which I think I have so often, too often been persuaded by. Hmm. Um, whereas someone like Hannah is so much more sure-footed about, about that. Dot is, he is easy, you know, in, in that sense. But, um, but you know, Hannah, Hannah knew it wasn't right and she, she pushed it to make it the way she wanted it to be, which is, I mean, thankfully she did. Yeah. Mm. So you got to this position with Strong where you were frustrated. Mm-hmm. You hang out with Tim and Roy. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, you must be aware of these frustrations and the fact that we got to this point together as a, a group, but we haven't realized the song the way we want it, to realize it. So then how do you go about doing that? I'd say we kind of broke it down again. We took out all those big pads and big, you know, we literally broke it down to piano, guitar, like we did with Wasting. Um, mm. Took it back to its bare bones and then slowly built it up again. And again, every, I remember going through like hundreds of snare drums. Which snare drum are we going to put? You know, how do we introduce drums to it where, again, you know, there's I'm looking at the session now there's a Juno bass on it again so again I think by then we'd found a palette of sounds that we knew Mm. 
this world is starting to open up now. Hey, now we already had wasting strong. Now you know we're starting to find this palette of sounds we can go to and go. Okay, this is creating a world now. It's good and it's beautiful and it connects. And that's actually what we were doing. This is amazing music. But I think the thing about strong, in terms of the labels and the management and all that, was that they always saw that as the crossover kind of song. And I think the band had much more confidence in what they had as a as mm. a uh, portfolio of everything you know every, the whole album you know um wasting and and um hey now especially mm. you know mm. like you guys knew that those were were big songs mm. but they didn't have drums on they they weren't archetypal you know radio hit songs but the the kind of the business side you know the, those people they saw strong as the the one that could be that big so i think that it was just ultimately you guys were right and and you know you were developing a sound as a band and and like you said right at the start there is a London grammar sound and that's they've made you know they've been really successful with that but in the studio nobody knew that how successful that was going to be and I think you know the, people fall back on things that have worked in the past so radio song has to have a big chorus and it has to have big snare drums and it has to you know kind of pick up the tempo so we're trying to trying to give them what they want give but also the give the, the you know the band like we're this type of band and we don't have those kind of sounds yeah, you, yeah every so. every time the chorus would come in you know people were going it's got to be mad oh okay there's the chorus okay but if you listen to it Let, let's it hear does the, the song okay yeah in its full fully realized version well this is this from the session yeah. i have here now which isn't the final mix This is the moment where everyone goes, okay, it's got to kick in there. It's like, this is where it ended up pretty much. Really beautiful, simple, gliding in rather so than So there were suggestions bam. that it would rise even further? Well, it was just that thing of well, everybody, it, expectation. Like whole, that whole yeah. intro with nothing on it. There was, yeah, you know, those moments. Wanted, there's a good moment with start it. with drums. Yeah. There's a guitar start. on its own there that goes into silence almost it's like yeah. creating this oh my goodness there's literally a guitar and a voice but it's interesting isn't it i mean i work in radio and yet that is the kind of thing that when you hear it on the radio stops you in your tracks exactly. because it's yeah. completely different from everything else you think what is this who are this group i don't know it's it you created something you created a world yep. uh, as a band that maybe you know you 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 Doug, you know, you, you made this space for yourselves. How many hits have you heard when there's literally just a, you know, a guitar mm. and a voice up until one minute in? But yeah. holding off makes that tension even more. And then the reverb on the vocals, we went through so many reverbs on Hannah's voice. Hannah's got a great voice out the box, to be honest, but there's, mm. how do you make that sound as beautiful and natural and not eat up too much space? Mm. And there's not many BVs on the album. No, no. Um, it was very much. We tried it, but it just sounded too much, mm. didn't it? Very much the case with this song. It was all about getting the best vocal performance that you could possibly get, because yeah. that's really what the song's all about. It's just such a powerful vocal, such a powerful lyric, and um, yeah. And so, when you're recording that vocal part and trying to get the right balance of elements to to do it justice, you know, how do you go about that process? I mean, does Hannah have to stand there and and keep singing with a singer like that? And she's one of very few singers I've worked through the years with. That you know, first take you can pretty much get something amazing. And you had some great takes from the from the 
garage demos as mm. they're known. Mm. So we ended up using bits of those, I think, on some of the tunes, mm-hmm. maybe Flick or If You Wait or something. I think we ended up using bits of those as well. Mm-hmm. But something that you captured when you're not thinking, I'm standing in a vocal booth in a big expensive studio, that's hard as well. You know, you stick putting a singer in a box, literally in a box. Mm. I think we ended up doing vocals in the live room as well. We made a little, you know, nice area in there because it's quite intimidating now i've got to go and sing and songs like this you've got to be i think we did a lot of vocals in the evenings and stuff just mm. to get a bit of mood and but it was typically not that many takes i, I might even have the t- i mean six takes maybe yeah and then hannah hannah would go home and i'd i'd comp the vocals which is putting together the best bits basically so i'd and then coming in the morning listen to the comp hmm, that's cool maybe that bit could be better so maybe that evening we'd have another go at the vocal and then just continually bettering, bettering, bettering until we ended up with something like this. Excuse me for a while While I'm wide-eyed and I'm so damn caught in the middle Again, there's not much on there that's literally um, a bit of reverb. Mm-hmm. I've excused you for a while While I'm wide-eyed and I'm so damn caught in the middle Again, I think we used... Uh, bits of the demo vocal on this one, Dan? Yeah, it was a combination of takes, I yeah. think, some at state-of-the-art. We'd always refer back to the demos. Sometimes you captured something when you weren't thinking about it mm. too much, so we'd end up using quite a bit from your from your garage days. I think for Hannah in particular, when you're doing a vocal part, it's just sometimes I suppose it's hard for her to necessarily replicate something that just has a particular emotion. It's like, uh, I'm just thinking like on our latest record, the title track, Truth is a Beautiful Thing, was just that was the performance that she did the first time we recorded it and we just ended up keeping it. Live, because, live with the piano, Yeah, right? Yeah, live yeah, with the piano. Incredible. And we just never changed it because it just had something about it, mm. you know, the, an emotion that we never, you know, we tried to ca- capture again but didn't quite do it. And so going back to, to Strong, I mean, you were working on this song that had a lot riding on it or a lot of people had got involved and were putting all this pressure on it. Mm-hmm. Um, can that put you off your song and make yeah. you think god you know what <laughs> well it's funny you say why that are we bother- why are we bothering with <laughs> this question let's yeah. move on uh i think to be fair that's basically what happened mm. um i think you know for, for for a few of the songs you know you just sort of suddenly you're like oh no it's not right or this maybe it shouldn't be on the record i mean it's so sad when i think back to the fact that 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 was an emotion that um you know we felt in whatever way um, but yeah, that is, I guess that's what happens when there's too much stress put on, you know, that, that at the time, Yeah, I guess. It's tough. I mean, it's something that I think, you know, we as the general public, as the listeners aren't aware of mm-hmm. necessarily of, um, ups and downs that are involved mm-hmm. in just the, getting these things recorded mm-hmm. because it is interesting with your trajectory in the sense that you did do a few live gigs, but then you no, know, it became very much a, a recording thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously you knew that you were going to perform these things to the world once you'd mastered it all. But for so many bands, it's about, you know, you, you kind of end up recording whatever it is you've created over a couple of years of playing live all the sure. time. Yeah. Know? And and that's quite different. Mm. I think it was symptomatic of, you know, how we were signed and, and the way that things went about. I mean, I think putting it into perspective, we were signed by Ministry of Sound, who at the time had never signed a band before. They signed us for, for very little, and it was very little pressure. You know, we, we wanted it that way. We didn't we avoided signing to a major for that exact reason. And they gave us the time to just figure it out. 
you know, and it was like a two-year process. They just waited for us, you know, and we spent a lot of time in in my garage, a lot of time in the studio with my friend, and then moved into, you know, working with Tim and Roy. And um, we should yeah. mention Depeche, shouldn't we? Really? Yeah, I mean, Depeche uh, Ministry was, yeah. I mean, he just he just had a lot of faith in us from very very early on, and it, thankfully for that, because um, that just allowed it to be this kind of process that was like really was really genuine and or, or it felt genuine at the time I don't know I mean it I don't know maybe people would say it isn't but that's certainly how it felt and it felt like it was just we kn- I knew as soon as I met him because I he called me into a meeting Hannah and Dot were away so I went to me I mean you know I had no idea what the f- what I was doing at this point and we, I, we didn't have a manager I didn't have anything just went to this meeting and I thought it was going to be like about a remix or something oh and, yeah because it's ministry yeah, yeah and you know and and he was just like oh, I want to sign you guys you know, and nobody had ever, no labels do that. No one has the balls to, or you know, just to just be like, I want to sign you. And and he did. So fair play to him for that. And we really, you know, we owe him a lot for that. Right? And strong. I mean, obviously, it's the song is about, you know, having the strength to <laughs> yeah. to get through things. And you, as a group and as a, a bunch of people, had to find that strength to mm. see this through. Yeah. I mean, I won't speak too much for Hannah about what the lyrics mean and people can read into them. Um, what I will say is a lot of people get the lyrics wrong, funnily enough. Like whenever it's covered on TV or in shows, whenever I've seen it, people always get the chorus wrong, which is interesting. They sing, I might seem so strong, I might be so wrong, but it's not. It's man seems so strong, man seems so wrong, man never been so wrong. So, you know, read yeah. into that what you yeah. want, but that was... You know, it's a pretty yeah. important mm. piece of lyric there, I think, from Hannah. I think it's just so much was pinned on this song. That's all it was. And it was always in the background. This was the, the hardest nut to crack. And I do think it ended up in a great place. And it was going back to being simplicity in its greatest form and people mm. going, yeah, that sounds great. In mm. the end, not going, oh, there's a huge chorus coming in. It ends up just too big for its boots. So too, mm. it's a beautiful, simple song. And that that honesty disappears as soon as you layer too many production elements on mm. it, you know. I don't think it's, there's not real strings on this one. No, there's not. It's no, me no. playing my laptop. It says Tim <laughs> laptop. Yeah. It literally is, I mean, it's, it's just this. Those are some good synth strings. Yeah. But it's not too big and no. washy that like, I'm wasting, you wanted that beautiful deep. This is high stuff in kind of tension strings. Roy and Dot, I think, creating some... What's that, Roy? Sample noise, it says. Does, yeah. <laughs> Vague. Most things I do say something noise. But there's all these things. Again, that's behind the chorus, but you don't notice it. It's just... What's flutes? I didn't know there were It's funny we're discovering things. This is our production technique. Um, <laughs> Who put that there? This is Dot. Dot was using a lot of flute stuff at this time, I remember. Sounds like Beautiful. something Dot would do. And what's that, a sample flute? Or... Yeah, I guess yeah. it would have been him on, be in, uh... on his laptop just adding textures. I remember he was using a lot of these kind of floaty things. At he was definitely beginning to discover like textural. Yeah. Beautiful orchestral. It's like a flute drone. Yeah. Like a flute drone. <laughs> just seeing what else is in it. Of course, the Juno bass. We're well into our drive soundtrack, and right. which is leads Which leads nicely yeah. to the next song we're going to discuss, um, which is Nightcall. 
you're a band with a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're fighting people off yeah. at this point, saying no, we're going <laughs> to stick to our guns. <laughs> um, we've got an idea of what we're doing. We um, locked the studio door, yeah. locked it. <laughs> but then you decide to do a song that that wasn't yours. Yeah. Well, that was and make it your own, obviously. Yeah, I mean that was that was Roy's vision for the choice of song. Actually, he was the one who suggested Nightcall, and um, I think like just putting it in context, Drive had what just come out. I think so. It was, yeah, yeah it was relatively around. new. Wasn't relatively it? new, and and was like a film that we just immediately bonded over. And it's and it's in a, in a ways that you know we were talking about space and simplicity and all of those like talk about a spacious script. I mean, you know, there's barely words uttered in that film, and I yeah. think like that was very apparent to us, and we connected with that, and it had that kind of modern but obviously eighties influenced soundtrack, and it was. It was just and it was really just very culturally significant at that moment in time, and it was it's just a really really great film i mean i love it still mm. um and that song is amazing um i think the obvious choice would have been maybe hero yeah and i think there, it kind of twigged in my head pretty quickly that because this the original of this is actually vocoded vocal it's an electronic kind of effect over the vocal all the way through and obviously um very unemotional in its way yeah, very, very kind robotic of robotic and obviously hannah would do a version of that because her her thing is to not have to have as little effects as possible on a voice because it's that voice you know she doesn't need anything so straight away you, you know there could be something special there Jens. I think Hannah will dot knew how to play it he just went straight in and started sort of doing this riff and it was just a beautiful version of the electronics but on the Steinway and yeah it kind of happens so quickly in one evening right mm-hmm. so let's hear the Steinway and Hannah if that's what was uh, the first thing that went down so in the original that's a synth sequence right yeah immediately on a piano it's yeah. like suddenly sounds like these guys it's quite weird and then um little tremoloed guitar. I think it's interesting about the, the cover within the context of the album and also hearing the album for the first time within that time frame is that it's like, oh, this is familiar. But but why is it familiar? Yeah. You know, and what what is it? And it's like, oh, you know, you the listener, unless they're really clued up, has to, you know, make the connections. It's and, not and instantly recognisable. No, no. I mean, nobody would immediately think, oh, yeah, of course, Drive, yeah. 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 Which if they'd done Hero would... Exactly. Um, That's the beauty know. of it, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, I think that was part of... <laughs> We maybe had a slight issue with that because I think people thought it was our song. Well, it yeah. sounds like one of yours. That's, yeah. the, that's the great <laughs> yeah. thing. I think that's the beauty of this cover version. That it doesn't sound like oh, we've got we're trying to do a cover version. It's, it's a proper version. It's like you made you it know. your own, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? How yeah. how 
you know, the success of the record and the success of the band um, completely overshadows all those those issues yeah. and those debates and those those emotional roller coaster rides that you, yeah. you had to go through. I mean, through. nobody said making a record is easy. If mm. it was easy, literally everybody would be doing it. And nobody said that making a record is all laughter and jollity in the studio. This is emotional we music. Did we did. We had a real laugh. We did laugh a lot. We laughed a lot. But I remember because I remember we, we were living quite close mm. to each other, me and Dan, and... Um, we would commute in often, give each other a lift. And I remember you asking me one time, if you still mm. remember, and you're like, do you, honest, do you think this could be a hit, mm. the, the album? And I was I was really honest. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I've got no idea. Yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, what we're doing is amazing. Mm. But I, I couldn't, you know, I suppose I could have said, yeah, definitely, this is going to be a hit. And mm. then what if it wasn't? Then, you know, you'd think I, yeah. that wouldn't can... be unfair. You just don't know. You mm. never know. Mm -mm. But... um. I just, you know, it's funny because I think we, the three of us just had like a sense of belief that it was going to be fine. Yeah. Not that it would actually be a hit. I think maybe that's more of a concern as you get deeper into it. But we were just like, are people going to listen to it? Because um, we just had nothing to go on. Like nothing. There was no, you know, a lot of bands, I suppose, at that time in particular, um, it was like that thing of bands were building up online kind of presence and then releasing music and then they were you know like you were saying before they were playing gigs and they were doing it that way so for us we just had absolutely nothing to go on yeah because you could get i mean obviously if you do a gig and you play in one venue and then more people want to come and see yeah. you and you play in a bigger venue you think yeah people like what we're doing yeah whereas you had no gauge no if you think of the pressure we put ourselves under you as the band and us you know with you i think if there would have been that added pressure of that I think that would have been a disaster. I'm so glad. It, kind of all the stars aligned on, uh -huh. in that respect because we were kind of doing it on our own, weren't we? We locked mm. ourselves away. Yeah, we, right? that's the, like, as, as Dan said earlier, they really did leave us alone mm -hmm. uh, at label management. Uh, they really just yeah. put us away and, and trusted that we were the right people mm. and, and the band were, you know, solid enough in mm. themselves to, to create something wonderful. They'd pop in now and again, but yeah. really not every week. They'd leave us for a couple of weeks and then go. Have you got anything? Mm. <laughs> and then, uh... but we we did have a laugh as well. Oh, you, we really you know, did. and I think like it's funny because me, Hannah, and Dot always say that the thing that definitely brings us together as a band through everything that's happened and through all the trials and tribulations, blah blah blah, is our our sense of humour. Like we just get we have a sense of humour that is common amongst the three of us, and I think you guys definitely just adhered to that and that made a bond between us that was really good and it's um yeah i think that's really important for us as a band that we we get we get along with the people we work with from a, a humor point of view mm. which is generally a bit silly yeah, <laughs> but you know, hey, you've got to release the tension as well yeah. in the studio. Studios, you know, sitting around all day. It's you know as well. You are sitting there for potentially more than twelve hours a day making music, and it's a lot of micro. You're zooming right in, so to to release that, you know, with humour mm. and just being silly, of course, you're going to do that. And if we, yeah, we did really connect. We did really have a laugh, and then suddenly you're making this really serious music or seriously <laughs> emotional music. But um, no, it's a good it's a good way to work. I think got to have, got to have fun. Otherwise, why would we do it? You know. Yeah. Yeah, and and clearly the chemistry works very well. Obviously, we went on to record the second album together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we um, did. Uh, we worked on about f I think five tracks of that, and yeah. uh, Paul Epworth did uh, did quite a lot of that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Greg Kirsten and Greg well. Kirsten, of yeah. course. Yeah, can mix again. It's a productive, it's a productive relationship. Which yeah, is I nice. mean, we know what we do well together. I think. I mm. think you know we all have our strengths, and that does work. And we and going back to this mate, reminds me of how mm. it's almost seems like it was 
it was a lot of hard work, but it mm. kind of was effortless at the same time because mm. you guys, like I said earlier, you guys knew what you didn't like. Mm. Um, and in terms of your expectations, did you think, yeah, we, we've got it actually? Well, I think sadly that's kind of not the way it was. It because because of the nature of how we released it, we put out Hey Now, and then there was that moment of like, yes, we've done it. Like this is working. People immediately connected with it. It was getting played on the radio in uh, you know in Triple J in Australia, and suddenly it was like, wow, this is building. Hey Now was definitely that moment for us, and it was amazing. And that was something we so we knew we had that. And then it was like, right, can we back this up? And then it was like a scramble to like, you know, like I said, every single was like when we had waste, we released wasting. And it's like, ah, got to finish it three weeks before it's coming out. Done, right. Strong, fuck. <laughs> three weeks before it's coming out in June. You know, it's like, then it's done. And then up to the album. So it was like, but then obviously once we released it and it was on its way and it was just, and then we, but we, you know, then as it is so often with us, I'm sure every band has this experience, but like those moments of just like joyousness of just like the completion and never really fully appreciated because you're just into touring or into promotion or whatever and it's just like that yeah you toured for a couple uh, of years yeah. off the back of that yeah i remember thinking time. we've like made another four albums so i'm going <laughs> yeah. god they're still on tour doing that album we made with them a yeah. couple of years ago it was never ending. it's amazing i mean mm. you, you must that must have been solidifying for the all these people singing mm. along to your songs that's for quite sure. a, you know what no, a major a moment, having not done many gigs before. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. But and was, is Night Call, is that part of the live set? Is that something that yeah. features? Yeah, we don't always play it. Um, it was one of those that's in and out of the set, so not, not necessarily all the time, but it, I do remember like our manager now, Jonathan, he's definitely very keen on it. And we were in Paris recently playing a show and we didn't have it in the set. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, you can't have it not having a fucking set. It's got, <laughs> we're in he France. <laughs> he's not paraphrasing. Sorry, no, that's actually <laughs> what he said to me. <laughs> it's so good to be able to go through these songs bit by bit in the way that we have. And also hear uh, the, the wider perspective as well. You know, the, the, the kind of other pressures beyond just finding that right sound that all these all these things are pulling you in different directions. You know, not least just to, you know, the, just being in the band together with the three of you, trying to you know, realise your dreams in a way. You know. um, but then the two-headed monster of my riot... Um, they're, they're not a lovable two-headed puppy <laughs> yeah. um, and that's worse surely <laughs> but it's interesting the two of you working as a team for the first time and and clearly finding your own chemistry together too you know it's um ma makes this record quite a a, a pivotal one in, in yeah, a way definitely. No. For, for us certainly it's our defining first defining moment and we realized that having come from very different backgrounds musically um, myself coming from an engineering and kind of analog, although I'm using synths and stuff, but essentially recording classical music um, background. I'm classically trained and my mum was a music teacher. And so it was very much that kind of analog world. And Roy coming from a uh, remixing, mashup, um, DJing, you know, uh, electronic uh, background. I think that's what jazz spotted. I think jazz summers realised that actually we do cross over a lot in the middle, but actually we'd really complement each other. And in a funny way, if you imprint that onto London Grammar, that's what they are as well. They merge the electronic and the acoustic world into something that is something unique. Uh, and it's quite a delicate balance. It's a house of cards. You know, you can go one way or the other, um, depending on the song, obviously. But I think, uh, 
yeah, it was definitely a, a meeting of minds for us as well. And out off the back of that, we've we've made some other lovely records as well. And starting with a, a, an album like this, with a with a great band like London Grammar, great artists have approached us to work with them as well, mm. knowing what we, we mm. you know, brought to that. Yeah, fascinating. Um, Dan, Tim. Roy, thanks so much for inviting us into Roy's room here at Rack Studios. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, and so from Roy's room, uh, for now, it's, it's goodbye. Tape Notes is brought to you by In The Woods. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, plus check out their barn sessions on YouTube. All links are in the episode description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, tell your friends about us, and make sure you're subscribed so you can enjoy the latest episodes when they're released. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy. Thanks for listening.